0: Good morning and welcome to another of the St. Mark's podcasts. Here we're at the Frontiers uh, meeting in, L- in London at the Royal College of Physicians for our annual uh, meeting with uh, many uh, surgeons and physicians gathered together to hear some extraordinarily experienced specialists from all over the world. And we're entitling these talks as corridor, Frontier Corridor Chats. And we're grabbing these experts for a few minutes of, uh, of questioning and hear their um, uh, take on various aspects of surgery and medicine. Uh, at the moment I've got with me uh, Raul Hompes, who is um, uh, originally from Belgium, from Flanders and is now a consultant uh, surgeon at the AUMC in Amsterdam. Welcome Roul.
1: Thank you very much uh, Good. and, and that was the best pronunciation I've heard a long time of my <laughs> first very, time in, uh, in the very UK.
0: Ki- that's very kind. Anyway, you you worked in the UK for eight years before you became a consultant in um, in Amsterdam and uh, you've, uh, you're an expert in many aspects of colorectal surgery, but today we're going to concentrate on one simple thing which must be very close to the hearts or or, or the heads of many colorectal surgeons, i.e the problem of an astomotic leak from the particularly the low anterior section uh, done often for colorectal cancer. And you've got a particular interest in this and and uh, one thing you've just told me off air was that you're no longer defunctioning low anterior sections with ileostomies. Tell us more about that move because it although that's been, Done and talked about in many places throughout the world. There is still uncertainty as to whether we dare do this on a regular basis.
1: That's that's correct, and it's also uh, uh, which I uh, struggled to comprehend when I was still working in, in in Oxford as a as a consultant, where also the majority of my cases would be defunctioned. Uh, and I've heard Willem and Peter talking about it, and now it's, it's sort of also part of my practice, of course. Um, and it's actually multi. And it just didn't occur at one day, but it's sort of what the unit evolved to. And I think uh, they're, uh, sort of it's multifactorial. So they initially also started with the pouches. Uh, we do now a modified two-stage. So the first stage would be a subtotal colectomy. And then at the, the second stage, we would form the pouch and not defunction them anymore. Because of also the morbidity That you can get from from stoma closures. So just giving a patient a stoma is not without consequences. There's morbidity of 10% severe morbidity of stoma closures at 10% of minor uh, complications. That gives you 20% of morbidity of a stoma closure and a mortality figure. Which yes, is, indeed. Which is approaching one percent, which is not insignificant. And there uh, are
0: some who will never have their stomas
1: closed. And now we're doing a systematic review based on another meta. While we're doing a meta-analysis, uh, and uh, that, that sort of points out that indeed about twenty percent of the stomas never get reversed and become permanent, for various amount of reasons. But the main reason for not being reversed is having an anastomotic leak. That's one of, the, one of the factors that comes out strongest. So you've got all those factors, and then we're now also starting to see, and there was also a very interesting uh, talk about that this morning, that if you bring out an ileostomy, it has functional implications. So those patients who have a defunctioning ileostomy are significantly more likely to get severe LARS, And there has been discussions whether or not there's a change in microbiome. We also think it's sort of how the neorectum Uh, adopts and how the compliance of that neorectum changes when you don't use it for several weeks and in a system like the nhs where stoma closures can be delayed for a very long time and that's something that's been now being picked up by a project that julie cornish is doing It is showing that some aliostomy not being reversed for over a year and that's just
0: and there's, there, was some talk, there's, there was some talk about this morning that, that might be, there might be a form of fibrosis occurring in, in these defunctioned uh, uh, anasto- um, uh, pouches uh, in, that, in that time period. But let's go on and talk about what your experience in this, the this, this fact that you're not making uh, loop ileostomies anymore. Um, you're presumably getting similar numbers of leaks uh, as before, or has have things changed?
1: So that's, yeah, that's, that's one of, it's an interesting question, and, and that's what surgeons think, some surgeons think, I don't think it's a whole surgical community, that bring out an anastomosis prevents leaks. Well, it definitely doesn't do that, and that's the Dutch uh, population-based data that we've got. Uh, it's a snapshot audit that they did of all colorectal uh, low anastomosis in, in one year, which had long-term follow-up, four-year follow-up, and what surgeons usually remember is their 30-day leak rate. And that, indeed, in that study, proved to be lower in those patients who had an aliostomy. But when you look with long-term follow-up, the anastomotic leak rate, and that comes down to also what you define as an anastomotic leak, was exactly the same. very high, it was 20%.
0: Yes, we always said that that it wasn't so much that the leak rate would be lower, but the consequences would be less. But then if we add on the consequences that we were talking about earlier, which is the problems of the ileostomy itself and all the complications that that can have, you would probably find that that was evened out anyway.
1: So I think that is a good point. Uh, I I think that is something that we have to take into account that of course if you don't bring out an ileostomy, you're more likely potentially to have more severe consequences. But having said that, that's why it's important when you adopt this strategy that you also have a good pathway to uh, 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 diagnose these leaks very early on and then also manage them aggressively as we do. So we have a pathway with CRP um, which, we, which we check on day three and day four, and it's above a certain threshold, and there's been a very nice meta-analysis on that published in the BGS. Um, if that's above that threshold or any clinical symptoms, the patient gets a CT scan with, with uh, rectal contrast, and if you didn't do find a leak, they go back to the theater, have an ileostomy, we wash out the colon through the efferent limb, and then we start with an endosponge uh, partway. Uh, so that's really important that you do that to prevent uh, the severe uh, complications. So anyone who's
0: shown to have a leak will immediately get an ileostomy, yeah. a washout, yeah. and the endosponge. And the endosponge has become quite important in all this
1: for at, you. At, at, we, we we do think that um, for several reasons, because what we would call transanal drainage or a transgluteal drainage, we see that as as passive management. And what we've also seen in that Dutch snapshot audit is that of those 20% of patients that leaked, half of them will turn out to be chronic sinuses. And of course, one of the independent risk factors for that was having neoadjuvant radiotherapy. Uh, and if you have a chronic sinus with neoadjuvant therapy, for instance, if you then decide to treat a small leak with a transgluteal drain, we sometimes see those patients coming back even four, or five years down the line with a reopening of that tract, with a nut, with a fistula through the buttock, and sometimes they even present with necrotizing fasciitis. Yes,
0: I've seen that. And so the the endosponge is is going to avoid some of these things. Tell us how how you apply it and who who puts it in and when is it. And what, what what lessons have you learned from doing it?
1: So originally we started, uh, and it's work that was done by uh, Willem Bemmelman at the AMC. He started really early on uh, with death. And uh, I think some people thought he was crazy because literature was was all over the place when it comes to endosponges. But originally he, he used the old Weidenhagen technique where you put in a sponge and you kept on endosponging until the cavity was less than a centimeter. And then you would hope that that it would seal off, but what we are trying to do is get mucosal approximation. So we use the endosponge to treat the endostomatic cavity, well, the leak, the the cavity which has been created by the leak, so, and usually what we tend to do is use two, three endosponges, so an endosponge changed every three to four days, And then when the cavity is nicely granulating and when the tissues are still pliable, and that's also what you can see with the endoscope, when you suck air out, the tissues still come together. And that's completely different than when you start three months down the line. Then the tissues are fibrotic and they don't come together nicely anymore. So what you want is a cavity that's clean, still pliable tissues, And then usually 10 to 14 days after we initiated the endosponge treatment, we take them back to theater and transanally close the defect over a drain. And then we check two weeks afterwards with endoscopy that there's no further defects. If there's still a defect, we would restart the endosponge management, and if there's no defect there, we'd get a CT scan with rectal contrast to confirm that there's no small fistula or sinus still there, and then we would be happy to close the uh, the uh, the ileostomy. It's really important and I think it's different here of course in the UK, you can do your own endoscopies. We rely on our uh, uh, gastroenterologist colleagues and we have two separate, um, well we've got separate lists for that uh, because we also get referrals from from outside and it's really important that you assess that cavity endoscopically because if you put blindly A sponge into that cavity, you don't know how big it is, we don't know uh, if there's any uh, different trajectories, you don't know how dirty it is. So, with the endoscope, we clean the cavity. If there's lots of fiber in there, we take, we ask our gastroenterologist to debride it. With with uh, with 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 special little instruments, it can take time, but you really want to get it as clean as possible. So you're
0: doing that. You're advising him at the time of the endo- endoscopy because yeah, uh, most ga- gastroenterologists wouldn't know how to do that. No.
1: So. so our our unit is now really set up for it. Right. So and and also the 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 the, train, the trainees the the physician trainees they get uh, they get uh, well we we sort of give them information they get information from the consultants. Uh, but we usually there with the first end of sponge change, and we try to be there with every change if possible, definitely after the second or the third, because then the decision moment comes whether or not we can close the defect. But how many sponges you place, the height of them, how you place them, the size of them, is really important. Because at some point, a big cavity, You might place two in, but then you once it starts getting clean, you want that cavity to collapse, and then you you only want to have one sponge in there, and probably also a very flat one.
0: Right. You talked about the drain. Is that transgluteal or is that through the anastomoses?
1: That's that's actually behind the distal lip, of of the distal well. Rectal remnants. You don't want to. We don't like putting a transgluteal drain because what yeah. you actually created there is a fistula. Yeah. So we don't like to do that. So we will soon publish a, a dynamic manuscript online where, we'll, where we will show and I will also present that here today how we place that drain and that's a really important because the cavity is not bacteria-free. If you close the cavity, there will be tissue reaction. You will get a fluid collection and that will turn into an abscess if you don't have a suction drain. Behind that so closure. Put,
0: put me right, that means the drain's going through another hole below the anastomosis.
1: Yes. Yeah. But it's a very small drain right. and which then comes out transanally. And a, and a suction drain. It's a suction drain and, that and collapses that.
0: And circuit. how long does that often have to stay in? So
1: we leave that for ten days and then the patient gets seven to ten days of antibiotics. But that drain is vital, I think, to keep that yeah. cavity sucked and that any fluid that's still being produced there is sucked out.
0: And then and then you're ready to sew up at about 10 days, two weeks to actually sew yeah. the So the, the drain is, is
1: part of that, the closure of the defect.
0: And what proportion of those closures
1: work? So there's not lots of data out there. So we published on, on 15 pouch leaks that were managed uh, that way. All of them were, were, were closed and also with their ileostomies closed. That's of course without radiotherapy. The only study so far that has really looked at is the CLEAN study that was multi-centre, and there you saw that the final success rate was 70%. Uh, And it was higher in those patients that were treated early. So if you start with the endosponge treatment at a later stage, those were less likely to close, uh, and those were majority referrals from other centres. So now we're looking, we've now treated uh, 45 patients at the AMC with endosponge and early surgical closure, We're now looking at our results, but it's going to be close to 90% of closure that we can achieve.
0: So, and we've avoided ileostomies in what proportion of these patients? 80%? Is it?
1: So, 85%? We've avoided ileostomies
0: in those in the original group, the cancer group.
1: uh, So, we're now looking at our TATME cohort, and there we have a leak rate of 12%. And there were a few in there. Uh, No, not on that court. So we had about 88% of our patients never had a stoma and then 12% they had a stoma uh, and except for two, they had uh, their anastomosis reconstructed and ileostomy closed. And
0: almost all of the second looks have been able to be done laparoscopically. You haven't had to do open surgery?
1: So that's one of the benefits Um. of uh, TATME. We don't convert anymore. They're all being done uh, in a minimally invasive fashion. That also allows you then to bring out the ileostomy Uh, uh, laparoscopically and of course because you're picking them up early you don't have the massive ileus that sometimes prevents you to go back so it's uh, that's why it's again early important to diagnose them early
0: and although you probably haven't been able to prove it yet do you think there may be a lower instance of serious uh, low anterior rectus resection syndrome after, by using your method. You haven't got the ileostomy which we now know is is a risk factor for that and also you're getting on the leaks very quickly you're closing them as quickly as you can in a fortnight if you're, if you're lucky so it is likely that LARS is going to be less of a problem in these patients.
1: Again, not proven, but that's what, uh, that's what we think. And hopefully that we can work together with uh, Dr. Wilson here from St. Marks, who also got a keen interest in, in managing uh, LARS, that we can do some, uh, some projects together on that.
0: that. That sounds fascinating. And I'm just going to finish by asking you s- something about the mechanism of being able to do all this uh, safely. Um, you work, a, you're a very cohesive group. Uh, in Amsterdam and you work together. And we were talking in a meeting uh, earlier this morning about the difficulties when you do have a complication of the decision making and uh, deciding what to do. Uh, And it's always best to do it, maybe call a second opinion in uh, as soon as you can. Uh, You were telling me earlier also, you operate almost always together. So in a sense, you've got your second opinion. Yes. So the burden is shared. We call it the second victim, i.e. the surgeon with the complication is, is a victim too. And sometimes you need a uh, shoulder to cry on to make the right decision and not yeah. make the wrong ones. Uh, uh, how, how, do you, how does it work at, at your hospital?
1: Yeah, that's that's sort of how so we have got a tertiary referral practice. So we have either low rectal cancer, uh, complex IBD, the pouch practice, and then we are a national referral center for managing chronic Anastomotic problems and there you definitely want to have two surgeons involved so that's how we tend to work. We, we sort of uh, understand how we want to manage complications so usually the complications are taken back by one surgeon uh, because it's usually the weekend that they always leak or in the evenings but if there's any concern about the, the management uh, strategy we do consult each other and what we now see by talking a lot about this is that Colleagues from the Netherlands call us quite regularly and ask for advice on how to manage. I just had a call yesterday about a leak. Patient was sent home, was fine. Three weeks after, came back in with some pain, had a CRP, had a scan, collection, and a minute defect in the and They question, what should I do with it? Well, the advice is endoscope, balloon it open so that you get access to that abscess cavity and the sponge in there, ileostomy, and probably those types of leaks you need two weeks of endosponge treatment and then very small defect you can close transanally.
0: Yeah, It sounds like you've got it all sorted up to a point and um, it sounds like we're going to hear more about uh, both the uh, lack of the ileostomies and the uh, methods of treating these leaks from you in the future. Uh, well, thank you very much for a fascinating insight into that, uh, that problem, Rule. And um, uh, I'm not going to keep you from the conference any longer because I know there's lots of things going on. It's been a pleasure meeting you, and we hope to see you back at St. Mark's sometime soon. Thank you very thank much. Thank you very much.